Welcome to Amongst the Waves. I'm your host, Tanya Carroll, and I'm a surf coach, a Czech practitioner, and I'm completely caught up in all things surfing and getting behind the scenes of surfing culture. I have surrendered my soul to surfing. In each of the episodes of Amongst the Waves, I will bring you a perspective you might not have considered in the hope that it inspires you to be a better human and that it helps to build your stoke. My guest on today's episode of Amongst the Waves is Lane Beachley. Seven-time world champion Lane Beachley is widely regarded as the most successful surfer in history. The only surfer to claim six consecutive world titles, Lane's story is a testimony to the power of self-belief. A traumatic childhood ignited a flame of desperation to prove she was worthy of love. Lane's affinity for the ocean and competition created the perfect storm to achieve her dream of becoming the best of the best. Learning how to lose taught her how to win. 19 years on tour, 29 tour victories, seven world titles, seven won consecutively, five in a state of fear. Her career was an emotional roller coaster of happiness, injury, adventure, depression, failure, and ultimately success. An officer of the Order of Australia, Chair of Surfing Australia, and founder of the Awake Academy, Lane lives a life of unapologetic honesty, sharing her experiences with humour and humility, standing firm in her values with a clear vision for the future. Her sights are firmly set on cultivating connection, growth, and happiness in humanity. This episode was recorded for my previous podcast raw heart and soul in november of 2020 uh i'm giving it a play here again on or giving it a play for the first time on amongst the waves because it's a great episode um, in covering things like depression and anxiety and um, our mental health and that i think is even more prevalent than it was this time last year when i recorded this episode with lane so thanks lane for letting me um rebrand this episode i hope you enjoy Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today I have a special guest with me, and this is Lane Beachley. Hi, Lane. Good afternoon, Tanya. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've had an interesting afternoon, but I'm going to get into that because one of the things I wanted to, yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was your new program, but also about mental health in the surfing world, but also in the world in general, because I think it's bigger than just the surfing world. And I know that you um, in particular, I've spoken in the last couple of years more than more than just about focusing on our small areas, but focusing globally and how we can change that. Yep. Um, where do you feel we're missing the point when it comes to mental health? Big question to start with. Wow. Solve the world's problems, Lane, in 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> Go. <laughs> I feel that we're missing it. Um, in so there's so many there's so much stigma attached to mental health there's so much judgment and the opposite of judgment is empathy and uh, i'm a i'm a crusader for empathy i want the world to adopt a more empathetic mindset and recognize that everybody has a story and have the patience to acknowledge that within ourselves and each other um what do you think what do I think? Where are um, we missing it? Where? We're missing it with the children. Oh, you wanted me to pick a certain demographic? No, I didn't. I wanted you to okay, talk good. wildly because, and I say that because um, this afternoon um, my daughter goes to a small private school. Mm-hmm. We just got notification that one of the students who is 14 took his life yesterday, <gasps> which is oh shocking news. That she's is in, shocking. She's in year seven, so I haven't spoken to her yet. But um, so she's a year below this student. So, but it's a really small school, so she would have known who he was. But it's, wow, it's something that, that I <laughs> go devastating, devastating for the community and devastating for his his stepmother, so he, adopted mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but I coach people. I think you remember I met you at DNS in March, and I'm a Czech practitioner. So I coach people with mental health, problem, health problems and I've got a couple of my books at the moment who are struggling significantly. But mm. when something like this happens, you go, oh, not that we can handle it with adults and not that we expect it with adults, with anybody, it's unexpected, but, but where are we going wrong when our children are killing themselves? Like mm. what, what are we doing that's, or how can we help them? Like, Yes, there seems to be a really continuous theme um, within our kids at the moment. And COVID, I believe, has shone a very bright light on a very dark, sinister foe mm. of depression and suicide. And the first point that I come back to is our parents. 
um, because, and we're, we're a result of our generation. We're mm. a result of our parents' generation and their parents' generation. And we've just got this um, continual um, menopause brain. Uh, <laughs> legacy? <laughs> this, Le- legacy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's more, uh, yes, it is a legacy, actually. Yeah, you're right. Um, and the challenge that we have is it takes many generations to shift the mentality. Mm. So I think about my father's generation. So my dad's 82 and the stiff upper lip, the tough love, the um, lack of sensitivity that he grew up in and how that was passed on to me and my brother and how much shame there was in being wrong or hurting myself, how um, there was no, there was no safety in expressing your sadness or disappointment. Um, There was no encouragement to voice your concerns or voice my concerns. So today, you know, if I have a, you know, if I see my dad, he's like, how's your life? I'm like, yeah, that's all right. And that's the end of conversation. He's like, and I ever, I often say to him, do you you care? You know, do do you ever wonder if everything's all right in my life? He's like, oh, I just know you'd tell me if there was something wrong. So it's an assumption that, that you'll tell yeah, him but yeah, I guess but we I, need to take away I'm that silent, assumption take away the assumption I'm a mm. silent sufferer mm. the existential crisis that that leads to is the lack of communication uh the lack of curiosity mm. and fortunately I grew up at a time when it was safe to fail mm. and so therefore my identity wasn't wrapped up in failure but at the same time uh, because of the shame that I experienced as a child. So if I hurt myself and a friend came over and said, oh, are you okay? And my dad's immediate response was, oh, she's all right, get her a bloody wheelchair. Yeah. Even though my knee is twice the size. <laughs> um, that has, um, and it's a childhood pattern that I yeah. still apply to my life. That has caused me to be a silent sufferer. My advice to parents today is stop trying to solve the problem. Mm. And and empower our children and give them the safety and security to just speak and feel. You know, we, as parents, we're so, you know, and I'm 48 years old. Um, and at 48, I think about, you know, people who are parents at my age and I think about, and I'm, I haven't had children, so I can't tell you how to parent your children, but I think about what it's like and I observe yeah. all the time what's going on um I see parents at my age I think about my childhood and if I had a child I would wrap my arms around them and protect them and do my best to prevent from having them to go through that same level of pain and shame that I experienced as a child so therefore I'm robbing them of the opportunity to boost their resilience and build their capacity to create confidence within themselves and their ability to overcome challenges so we wrap them up and we're now building a bunch, we're building a community of reliance versus resilience because we're not making it safe. We're not giving them the opportunity to speak what they're saying without judging them or saying, don't be foolish. We're actually asking kids to lie from the very first moment that they know how to communicate. You know, if you put a plate of food in front of them and they screw up their face because they're expressing themselves in a way that's true yeah. to how they feel and you're like, don't make that face. Yeah. Well, it's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're not allowing people to feel the way they feel. And hold that space for them and let them to be ex- express that. And I think I see that in, I've had to learn that with my coaching, that I'm not there to solve everyone's problems. I'm there to be, to hear and offer possibilities of solutions and offer hope. <laughs> yeah, we're back now. <laughs> I lost you for a second. Did you hear yeah, what I got, You just said, I'm not here to solve people's problems. And then I froze. Yeah. So do you agree with that or disagree with that? I agree with that. No one's here to solve anyone's problems because no one can solve your problems. Only you can. Right. Um, really good point. So I've followed you for a long time. <laughs> um, I read your book you. when it first came out. You're welcome. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few things from that because I know you've been discussing these in the media in the last couple of years. Um, how losing your mum and then finding out that you were adopted, how did that affect and influence your career and your drive to win? But mm-hmm. 
can you tell our audience or my audience a little bit more about that? Because I know I heard you talking on um, Aunt Doe's show recently about um, how that, yeah, how that influenced you and how that really drove you to prove something to yourself and prove to others that you were worthy. Is that the right way of saying that? 100%. You've listened well. Uh, Aunt Doe pulled me apart like an onion. <laughs> oh, there's was... another layer. Wait, there's another layer. <laughs> it was beautiful. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the interview too. Yeah. So how did that, uh, like, how did that? Actually, if I just move my camera, you might oh, be able that... to see the painting. Oh, wow. There I am. Two for you... the price of one. <laughs> it's, it's really beautiful. Thank you. Um, now, to answer your question, it was all a derivative of a story that I subscribed to the moment my dad told me I was adopted. As you know, our brainwaves shift as we get more mature. So by the time we're about six, we go from being a narcissist to having the capacity to judge, analyze and criticize. Mm. And therefore we start subscribing to the stories that go around in our head. And the more we recite them, the louder they become and the more real they become. Yeah. So my dad said, I love you and you're a part of this family, yet you're not a blood relation. And I chose to hear you've been abandoned and rejected and you're not worthy of your mother's love. That was the story that went around in my head for many, many years. And I had defined success as becoming a world champion and I was not going to stop <laughs> until you got until, that until I got that at all costs and not just that one drove me. no I, well I got there and I went all right I'm still not enough and that's why I wear this t-shirt because you are enough yeah I am enough but I'm only enough when I decide I'm enough up until that point I'm not enough so how do you define success how do you know when you've achieved success and when are you going to declare to yourself that you are enough yeah, I guess that's a personal choice and it's something that you have to find yourself because everyone's definition of success is completely different. A hundred percent. That's yeah. it. And so that's what you need to start with. So what does success look like and uh, what's wrapped up in it? Because my sense of self-worth and identity was wrapped up in mine. When did you discover that? After I won my sixth consecutive world title. What did you do to change that? I acknowledged what was wrapped up in it, realized how much fear was driving my behavior and recognized that my body was falling apart and still pushed through that until my body broke down even further and then pushed through that again and then my body completely broke down. Mm. I think we talked about this in DNS in, in March, didn't we, that, that your body was giving you the signs but you chose to ignore them. Yeah. yeah, like I said, the body whispers before it screams and mine was screaming and I still wasn't listening. <laughs> So in the end, I had to, yeah, I just had to tap out and go, okay, I'm listening now. And that's the thing, you know, when our, our fuel light comes on in our car, we don't push the, the pedal to the floor and expect to get another 150 Ks out of the car, but we do with our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our souls and our relationships. We stretch and push and pull until they're just held by threads. And then we still think if we can just get a little bit more. There's still some more gas and in the tank and there's nothing there. There's nothing left. Yeah. And now, and that's another, I know, I don't know what you've learned from COVID, but from my experience, I realized that is my survival mode mechanism. Mm. And at the start of this year, I was straight back into it. Yeah. I was going to say better. to you, yeah. How often does that come back up again? That's oh, right there right now. So you're working right on it all the time. Now. I'm still working. Like through COVID, I gave myself permission to like, you know, I'm going to have a week off this week because we're all in this together. <laughs> I don't have any work to do except I'm building an online course yeah. and I have a deadline to when I want to, but I can, it's my deadline. I can stretch it. You can push it back if you need to. Yeah. But I, I need to be at my best to produce my best and I'm not at my best yet. Somehow we can still convince ourselves. Yeah. I'm not at my best, not doing my best, but that's good enough. Does that uh, sound familiar? It does sound very familiar. Yes. <laughs> uh, you asked me, what did I learn in COVID? I learned. Yeah. I learned that I'm capable of more than I give myself credit for or had given myself credit for. So I did um, some mentoring with um, a guy named Craig Harper. I'm not mm. sure if you know him. He's a um, podcaster and uh, used to be a personal trainer, used to own gyms down here in Melbourne. Anyway, did some work at the end of 19 or 2019 with him um, actually around this podcast and a few things that I had been not pushing myself in. So I kind of will 
do the hard things and they become easy and then I sit in that, I don't push myself any further. And one of his philosophies is that don't just stay lifting the same weights at the gym. Like you have to lift more if you want to get more kind of thing. So mm. I realised that I was sitting in that safe place. So I needed to get my, even though it looks to other people like I'm in a challenging place, it might be to start with, but then I don't, it gets comfortable. And I stay yeah. in zone. So I've learned that, yeah, that I'm more capable, but I need to um, keep finding things that push me outside my comfort zone because my comfort zone becomes too comfortable too quickly. There's a, you know, there's a lot of science that supports that, but then there's also a lot of science that refutes that by saying sometimes you need to lift less to do more. You know, we, we constantly think about expanding our comfort zone by doing more that yeah. expands our comfort zone. But you know what? Sometimes retreating inwards and having the courage just to listen and tune in and focus on how you're feeling and how you're behaving and some of the habits that you may have acquired that you know aren't supporting you and changing the little things about yourself will expand your comfort zone. Yeah. As, as well as going out and seeking and doing and being and lifting more. I think one thing I should probably qualify in that is that by going, by pushing my boundaries, I'm pushing the boundaries mm. within myself by going within myself as well. So I started what we call a 100-day goal, which is 100 days of 20 minutes of meditation. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. Consecutively, I'm mm. now at day 227. So you're supposed to do 100. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I got to the hundred, and I was like, "Well, why would I stop doing this if I'm learning more about myself by going inwards?" And I know there's so much more within that I need to learn before, not before I can go out, because I can do both. But like you just said, with like, it's not pushing my boundaries out so much; it's pushing my boundaries within and learning more about within myself and growing spiritually within that so I was, at the end of the 100 days I was like I'm why would I stop at 100 if I'm getting more out of this and I know I need to learn more with within it so I kept going mm. Mm. But it, and it's it's sharing those lessons too right because we we get this advice from these people like you need to keep expanding your comfort zone it's like we were addicted to making the most of COVID like you've got to look back on the time and know that you utilized it productively <laughs> Why do we put ourselves under so much pressure? Like if you've got the space to just chill and be, then utilise the space and the time and be. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you have spoken about your mental health struggles and at one point you had suicidal thoughts. How, when did you recognise that? And was it people from the outside? Because I know you've spoken about friends and family prompting you to get help. Mm. Did you... Did you see the signs or was it, was it not until they saw the signs in you that you went, oh, actually, there might be something in this? And how would, no. somebody, how would someone recognise that in somebody else? So say you've got a family member or a friend who you think might be on the edge or might need some help. What would they do to reach out? So the first part of the question is, yes, I saw the signs, but I chose to ignore them. Yeah. And there were simple signs such as um, my health, for example, where um, you know I was bloated from just eating a single piece of toast, or I had um, really poor cognition. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't able to think straight. I lost my my confidence, and then my behaviours were things like I would retreat. Uh, I wasn't as socially active. I would avoid answering phone calls. Um, yeah, I wasn't the same effervescent person. So if you see people's behaviour, appearance, um, emotional state, any kind of, and you may consider it to be an insignificant change, yeah. but if you know someone well enough that you're constantly monitoring their behaviour, then what you can do is just ask them, is everything okay? And are you okay? And if you get a, yeah, I'm fine, then maybe just dig a little bit deeper by saying, listen, I've noticed this. And I'm just wondering if you're noticing it too. Mm. Ask the open questions rather than the closed questions. Yeah, yes. I'm I'm seeing this within you. I'm wondering, have you are you noticing this? Or is yeah, asking open questions as opposed to being accusational and judgmental. Because that's what I copped. You're lazy, you're fat, geez, you're putting on some weight. What's fucking wrong with you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> when people ask you that, you're like, oh, what is wrong with me? Is something wrong with me? I must be fat. I must be lazy. And that's where your confidence would take a dive, I'm, get, I'm gathering. Absolutely. So then you retreat to try and figure it out. And instead of figuring, you need to be feeling. 
Uh, that's what I keep saying. I need to feel life, not figure life. So mm. when I get in touch with how I feel, then that gives me the strength or at least the knowledge because knowledge dispels fear to just sit there and go, okay, why am I feeling this way? What's contributing to this? But when I, you know, when I hear people say, oh, it's all good. What a lot of bullshit. It's not all good. You know, yeah. there's aspects of my life that we're not all good. And we use that as this throwaway statement to deflect the pain. The shield. It is the shield. The, the It's all good shield. Yeah. So what tools did you use to help get yourself out of that place? Uh, and what do you use continually as well? Because I know it's not just a, sometimes people will see mental health as like a problem that we have to fix and it's over and done with. And then it's, yeah. it, it's like a wound that's healed. Whereas I know from my perspective and from what I've coached and seen that it's not just that. It, there's no quick fix for this. And there's no one size fits all fix mm. for this either. There's, there's so many different tools that I've utilised for different times. You know, when I had chronic fatigue syndrome and I, that's when I was probably one of my most depressed and dark states, what I used was fear. Like I got really scared. <laughs> and so that was the impetus to pick up the phone and go, I need help. But prior yeah. to picking up the phone, I had to know who to call. Yeah. And if I didn't have that network of people that I confided in had built that sounding board of, or even just in my mind, my board of directors, you know, the people that I knew in my life that I could, could consistently rely on, then I wouldn't have picked up the phone and gone, help. But I picked up the phone. I called a girlfriend called Joanna Griggs, who I knew had been through a similar experience. And her response was, what took you so long? Like, we know you're struggling, <laughs> but you're not going to do anything about it until you're ready to do something about it. You know, that's why right. I always say dissatisfaction is the precursor. So I got dissatisfied because I got scared. Yeah. When I had depression a couple of years ago, which is what gave me the impetus to then become an ambassador for RUIK, that was triggered by a social media post of a friend's wedding that I wasn't invited to. And I got into a deep, dark, and the best way that I can describe depression for me is numb. I'm numb to feeling. I'm numb to feeling joy and I'm numb to feeling sadness. I'm just numb. Mm. I don't want to be spoken to. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be questioned. I just, I'm just numb. Just don't touch me. Don't look at me. Just, I'm numb. And that's a really scary place to find yourself because you can surround yourself and, and uh, protect yourself very easily in that state. And that's where I found myself. Until one afternoon, I asked my husband, are you okay? Because you're not speaking to me. And he looked at me and goes, actually, it's you that's not speaking. Are you okay? Oh, wow. like, Holy shit, I've been found out. Like, oh no, I've been seen. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> but I, yeah. at least I, I had that support network. Once again, when I was building this course, I went into depression because I started the comparison game. And comparison leads to that sense of inadequacy. So I rang up another friend. I'm like, I feel, I don't feel like I'm enough. I don't feel like I'm good enough, smart enough. I don't think my content's strong enough to share with the world. And so then I drew my feelings and to express them. I had, you know, it's always, I feel for me, the best place, the best way for me to detach from the fear is to share my fears with somebody else. I know all the tools. Surfing, yeah. immersing myself in nature, journaling, drawing, crying, writing. I know all the tools. Sometimes they don't work. Yeah. When you said before that you withdraw and you pull yourself away and you don't want to like don't want to take phone calls, don't don't respond to texts. Um, would you recommend that your friends keep texting? That they keep reaching out? Yes. Yeah, even Absolutely. if they don't get a response. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm so saddened to hear your news. I'm going to a funeral tomorrow that happened to the same guy. He took his own life. And, you know, six out of eight suicides are male because they don't talk. They don't talk. They've got this, yeah, they've got this stigma that they're the, they're the men of the household. They have to, it's, you know, it's weak to show mm. vulnerability and it's weak to show that you're upset and you don't have the strength to deal with it. And he had all the tools he was very well equipped he was very well supported he had a network and it was midnight he knew his crew were going to be asleep and he sent them all a message saying i hope you can forgive me and oh. then took his own life sorry to hear that yeah sometimes you just can't stop it no and the worst thing you can do is blame yourself for it yeah but we can do everything that we can possibly do to prevent it. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual's choice and it's distressing and it's heartbreaking and it's infuriating. At the yeah, same I was going to say there's, there's anger that goes anger that comes with that mourning and that grief. 
as well. Yeah, because... you've got the five stages of grief, you know. Yeah. Um, but yes, keep checking in. Keep checking um, in. And yeah, it's I, not something on. that we can solve overnight. No, it's not. I worked it's yesterday. <laughs> can you hear that phone? I can a little bit. That's okay. Though. Yeah, Is he my, getting that? Did you? Yeah, he's getting it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I worked yesterday morning. I've just gotten a job at Urban Surf as a surf coach. Oh, no yeah. way. Yes, way. Yes. I still haven't you? I still haven't been down there yet. You have to come. Now you have that to come. amazing. It's that's beautiful. Kind of, that's so cool. Yesterday, I'm still doing my shadowing shifts. So I'm still doing my 20 hours to become qualified, which will happen by the end of next week. And then I'm they're going to let me on list on the public by myself. But we had, I was, I know, right? <laughs> no, I am actually good. I'm good. Um, we had Ian, which was really amazing because we weren't told about it. Myself and my other coach who was coaching with me, Nat, um, we got to sit in on and coach a group with WOW. Is it WOW? Waves of Wellness? Women on Waves? Oh, well, Waves of Wellness. Waves of Wellness, yeah. They're the guys who run it are based from Sydney, but they do all Australia-wide. One, it was that group was um, it was the first time they were at Urban Surf, which was fantastic. But they were they had a group of um, invitation people, paramedics. Um, I don't think they were police officers. Paramedics and uh, fireys. One of the fireys said something to me which really um, took me back to my childhood because my dad was a, a fireman for a very brief period of time. But I know, having worked with people in those services, what their what their um, stigma is. And we talked about this a little bit before with your dad. This fireman yesterday said their attitude is changing and it's getting better, but it's still got a long way to go. And the quote that he used that they get told is, if you've got an issue, get a tissue. Oh. And that's it. And like, get Slap over it. them. Yeah. So we talk about men because they don't talk. And I have a, had a lot to do with men with mental health problems. But in what I consider to be one of the worlds that you work in, in the surfing world, did you have a lot to do with or did you know Andy Irons and how did that affect you personally as well as the surfing world if you knew him? Because that had a profound effect on me. Yeah, it shocked the world. It shocked the surfing world. And we all thought, gosh, how did, how did we let this happen? Mm. Um, why didn't we do more? You know, it's the, the common uh, survivor's guilt and the intensity of of the news really it, it rocked the whole surfing world um, personally for me um, I think I'm, I'm just so pragmatic about death because I've experienced so much of it mm. and, uh, and there's times when I fall apart, there's times when the grief um, catches me by surprise it just you know it unrattles me and unsettles me and then there's times when I just go, damn it, like, <laughs> why? Mm. Um, but, you know, and I often reconcile it too, you know. I often go, wow, I'm just so grateful that Andy left the mark that Andy left. Yeah. You know, his life mattered. It did. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that's all we, anyone wants is to know that our life matters. When it comes down to mental health with men, though, in particular, um, for people who are, who are familiar with it and don't have a judgment of it, they can actually do something about it. So I just went and had a coffee with my chiropractor who is very Ravi. familiar with, yeah, with Ravi. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he's, he's joined a men's running group and creates, he's created a conversation of the week question that they all ponder and talk about as they run. Um, just getting conversations kickstarted you can't expect men just to walk into an environment and open up. You know, they've they've got to be given the time and the and the safety to to do that. Do you think we're doing that better in the surfing world? Do you still have no we're no not. no we're not doing it well enough. No, there's there's still there's still too much of a stigma around diversity and inclusion and mental health and all of those things. You know, it's it's. The surfing world's still a bit toxic in that state. Um, I know Tyler Wright is on a crusade to create a more safe, inclusive and equal surfing world for mm -hmm. everybody. Um, and I've helped her establish that vision. And as chair of Surfing Australia, I want to be part of the implementation of it as well. Yeah. One of the big things I know that I've felt coming through, I can't speak on behalf of Urban Surf, but I've felt it coming through, through their recruitment process, is that they want to have more women in surfing. 
yeah, we all want more women in surfing. We need to bring more happiness and laughter and light to the water. You know, men can be quite intense and controlling and assertive, yeah. whereas women, we love to giggle, we love to laugh, we love to natter, we love to have more fun. And I think it balances out the whole environment, you know, bring a bit of estrogen to the testosterone that rules the waves and it That's makes it more fun say. out there. You yeah. had, um, from my perspective, you were very much yang. So when we talk about yin and yang, you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. Throughout your career. I want more yang. I do need to bring more yin. <laughs> and I was going to say to you, how are you bringing more yin into your life? Well, I'm doing a 15-minute yin yoga routine before bed every night. That's, oh, that's how awesome. I'm bringing more yin into my life. <laughs> <laughs> because, yes, I am very yang. I'm very headstrong. Um, I'm very driven and focused and I'm running on the treadmill of life. So sometimes I... I have to stop and go, okay, I need to detach or decompress the sympathetic nervous system, activate the parasympathetic nervous system and just give myself a break. Yes. Uh, and I don't give myself permission to do that enough. And I'm just realising that I can't run <laughs> that rate. No. I went, I've been feeling, I've been going through menopause for six years now yes. and I've been feeling really crap over the last few months. And yet just putting it down to menopause. And then my heart decided to speak up. And I had a, started having a shortness of breath and heart palpitations. So I rang Dr. Ross Walker, who's one of the Australia's best cardiologists. And I said, I'm having these little issues. He's like, come on in. And uh, put me through an ECG test and stress test. I'm like, no, everything's okay with your heart. But maybe it's your hormones and your thyroid. So sent me off to a hormone doctor and went and got my blood test. And I went and saw him last week. He's like... Okay, we've got lots to talk about. Uh, uh, <laughs> I went, oh, is that a good thing? He's like, no, not exactly. But <laughs> now we know why you're feeling the way you feel. You have no iodine, you have no estrogen, you have no testosterone, you have no progesterone, and you've got two parasites. Oh, so, wow. So I'd have fun with you then, Jeepers. Um, so yeah. you're, you're running on empty. So your adrenal glands have really run that hormonal system completely down. Yeah, it's, it's taken everything out of it and it's putting in the cortisol it's just putting it into my sympathetic nervous system because yeah, you, that's how i've operated so meditating for 100 days straight would be a really good challenge for me if you want to jump in with me um, you're more than welcome to i'll do a video one with you if you want we can oh, talk about that later. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to be frightened about most of it's <laughs> you're holding me ransom no no you're holding me accountable <laughs> well let's start with a small like we can start with 50 in a row if you want to do it that way yeah, that makes I, it so scary. I, mean, I, I have the car map and I, I do um, because I meditate when I stretch. Yes. Yeah, so um, there's, no, there's no reason why I can't do it. Awesome. Let's talk about that after this though. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you a few more questions and we're going to go back into the surfing world again because I admire what you have done for women because I, I, I know a little bit from what you talked about when we were at DNS in March. Can you explain what your role has been in bringing equality and pay to women surfing because that was massive. Ooh, that was massive. And I played a, a small part in it because my predecessors established the foundation for me to then go on and make a real dent in the way in which women's surfing was perceived and therefore supported. Uh, when I joined the Pro Tour in 1990, I had this grand vision that I wanted women's surfing to emulate women's tennis. I needed it to stand on its own two feet because we had a, a major disparity between how we were supported and recognized and it was toxic there was so much misogyny and sexist behavior and chauvinism and it was a draconian environment it was such a yeah it was horrendous and there's a great film coming out in january called girls can't surf in january oh. 2021 that talks to this and it's a great documentary. It's really, it's, and it's through our voice and through our eyes. Um, and the guys, some of the comments are just gold. I mean, they bury themselves. They don't, we don't need to <laughs> say anything. Oh, it's, it's amazing, I love it. Anyway, the part I played, well, yes, I took it upon myself to first have the vision and then implement it through being on the board of directors for 15 years of the 19 years I was on tour to be the voice of women surfing, to be the voice of reason, to be uh, the leader um, as world champion, to be the spokesperson, to be the ambassador, to be the role model. 
uh, put a lot of pressure on myself. I didn't I? Say, I like, a that's, hats. that's a lot of responsibility for one person to take on. Yeah, and I was really passionate about it because I wanted to leave the sport in a better place than I found it. And I also saw it as my duty because no one else was doing it. I mean, I'd sit at the board table and go, I want a prize, a prize money increase. They're like, screw you. You're not <laughs> worth it. I'm like, screw you. I'm going to do it myself. So that's when I started staging the richest surfing event in the world, which I did for seven years. And I, I doubled the prize money in the first year. And it took the industry three years to catch me. And then once they did, I continued to increase the prize money until they could never match me. And they never did. And then after seven years, the WSL came in and bought the tour. And I was like, all right, my work here is done. Bye. And then that was 2013. And then by 2018 was when they announced pay equity. That's amazing. Hmm. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I was very proud. I know that you said you're not a mother, but that's definitely mothering. Yes, I'm very nurturing. Yes, absolutely. You fit that archetype very well. Thanks. I think what <laughs> absolutely <laughs> what, do you, what do you think your sole purpose is why were you brought here oh geez the million dollar question why was I brought I was brought here hmm, I don't know why I was brought here not this time anyway other than you know my personal why right now is awakening others awakens me the more that I awaken the more I can awaken others the more they awaken me the more I can awaken others yeah yeah so the continuous growth you just mentioned something then as well this time yeah have you got have you have you been here before I believe I have yeah what do you do you have memories of that I did a past life regression there might be people going what a crock of shit, Beachley. What the hell oh, are you going on with? But I, I you know, I, I believe in ghosts. I, you know, I've, I've, I've actually interacted with them. I, um, and I've done a past life, in, past life integration where I was a male Roman, <laughs> of all things. That does not surprise uh, me, Lane. Yeah, I can even see the sandals I was wearing and the robes that I had on. Yeah, wow. um, But it was interesting because as I started going back, the the first memory I had was of my mother and I had one my mother that had died when I was six and I had one tear fall out of my left eye which is my feminine side side, yep and then when I went all the way back to being this male Roman holding a baby one tear came out of my right eye out of my masculine masculine side side, yeah yeah so it was all very strange whatever that means I have no idea I didn't read into it it just you know it just is what it is but yes I believe I've been here several times and will probably be here Several, several more. times more. This, if this planet can sustain us because yeah. we're raping it. Yeah, absolutely we are. Unfortunately. Yeah. Maybe that's what we're meant to be learning in this lifetime. Maybe that we're parasites and that we destroy the environment we live on. I think that was a <laughs> I, I thought that before COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, now it's been magnified. Absolutely. Mm. Do you think we have more than one reason for being here then that sole purpose can change? Yeah, absolutely. Our values change, our beliefs change, our purpose can change. Um, what doesn't change is our deep desire to belong. That never changes. But this one, and the one and only place that we belong to is ourselves. And that's the one and only place that we deny ourselves that true sense of belonging. Do you think that is part of the mental health problem? Absolutely, it's part of the mental health problem. <laughs> that we're searching outside to looking for belonging in other places when we don't find that in ourselves first? Absolutely, but who teaches that at school? I was going to say, who teaches that at school? That comes from parentage, I guess, doesn't it? It does. And who, how many parents are conscious enough to recognise that? Hopefully more, more than there used to be. Yes, that is the intention. Let's let's, um, let's start with ourselves and uh, and have the courage to look in the mirror. What parts of your childhood do you think prepared you for your life now? Oh, growing up in Manly for sure. God, it was just a you know sexist boys' club that uh, I had to fight my way through and negotiate my way through and ultimately conquer to um, deserve the right to be a woman in a man's world. <laughs> yeah, I, I fought hard and I feel like the, the lessons that I learned 
giving as good as I got and standing up and fighting for myself and surrounding myself with male allies and finding my dream team, um, having the courage to be vulnerable, expressing myself, all of those lessons were um, incredibly valuable, but learned in and around the beach at Manly. Yeah. Um, on, on the beach, on the, the water. In the, yeah, fighting, it, fighting for every single wave. Yeah, sure did. What, do you, what are you going to be doing going forward? What's exciting you now? What's exciting me now is actually, um, well, my course I love, I'm really excited about. I want to build another one, but it's going to take another COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's exciting me now is holding on to the learnings from the whole pandemic period, um, recognising my infallibility and staying connected to that, uh, um, changing my habits, my habitual patterns to honour myself and what else is exciting me? Um, surfing still excites me. I was going to say you're still surfing every day. <laughs> yes, yeah. every day. Um, yeah, that's about it. And then, of course, the, the strengthening of the love and the bond that I share with my husband, that excites me. Um, and just more, just learning more about myself um, and and hearing it and what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Come on, little menopause brain. You've got it. It's in there. It's like, you know, when you have, I don't know, have you gone through menopause? You're probably too young to go through no, menopause. No, I'm almost the same age as you. I'm so just turned 47. I think I just turned oh, okay. 73. But no, <laughs> but no, I haven't started Words menopause just, yet. They just disappear. They're gone. <laughs> They're like, they float around the ether and then you talk, start talking about something else. It's almost like they land back in you like, oh, yeah. That's what I'm now. talking about. Too, too late to bring that back into the conversation. <laughs> yeah speaking about your husband did his diagnosis and are we allowed to talk about this did his diagnosis um change the way you look at things and did that give you a um you brought up infallibility did that give you more of a sense of a time frame gave me a sense of urgency to yeah. sort this out and at least do some not do some um investigation and and um yeah start doing some research as to what his options were the challenge with kirk's prognosis and the, and um his situation was the way in which he was notified so first he had come home from an event i was in adelaide speaking so we were on opposing states and he was notified by email you know you've got cancer see you in two weeks have a great holiday you know book in to see me when you get back so just the uncertainty wrapped up in that diagnosis and was, lack of empathy and lack of empathy was unacceptable and then um we went on holidays and I was numb for the first five days because I was shit scared I mean yes you've got cancer what does that mean where is it located what's the severity what are our options what do we do now who do we mm. speak to where's where's the Where's the go-to place to find out about this? Are there any other forums or anyone that you know that's been through it? Can we call them? Can we find out? Like, oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it freaked me out. And so um, I ended up uh, snapping at my neighbor who was on holidays with us. And fortunately, she's one of my honesty barometers. If I say something or do something that's unacceptable, she doesn't let me get away with it. She just turns it back on me and says, don't talk to me like that way. What's going on? <gasps> oh, I have one of those. I call her my Jiminy Cricket. She's Jiminy conscience. Cricket. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got I got pulled up, and um, that's when I realised I was shit scared. And and I asked, and I I sat in the back of the car, and I started asking myself, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And when I I had allowed myself to feel the fear, the fear, I started crying. So I asked him to pull over the car, and I went to the public toilets and just bawled my eyes out, and then came out and told Kirk what was going on and he's like yeah I'm shit scared too so mm. gave us permission to be scared together and then start doing some research and then make a couple of phone calls and then when we came home then we got the the true diagnosis that it was too late to do anything naturally it was just get it out get the prostate out you got prostate cancer fortunately it was confined to the prostate mm -hmm. 
uh, and now it's just a part of his life. And um, but it's brought us closer together. To answer your question, yes, it's given me a very healthy perspective uh, around immortality and um, all mortality, wow. uh, and, and um, making the most of the moments that you have, which we always had because we spent so little time together at the start so we always made the most of the time we had together yeah because you have very separate lives yeah 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 now COVID's brought us even closer together and he's turned into a COVID puppy you know he's had me home for the whole time and now <laughs> the world's backing back up and he doesn't want me to go anyway he's like where are you going you can't leave me home alone you guys should move to Melbourne because you might get another dose of it down here oh god no thanks <laughs> uh, one of the things so I'm not sure whether I told you this my first husband passed away from melanoma cancer yes one of the things that I didn't like, particularly towards the end, and I, this is probably unusual, but when they gave him a time frame, mm. because I think that limits your thinking. It certainly does. Yeah, and then you subscribe to it. And that's the doctors protecting their own ass, right? And Absolutely. So then you put a time limit on your own life. Yeah, yeah. And it, is, um, is that what, and did he, did he fulfill that time limit? um yeah pretty much yeah he didn't exceed it he didn't exceed it he was I want to say lucky and I don't like the word lucky um Mm -hmm. simply because I think even going through what I went through with him I think everything happens for a reason and happens for a purpose and my children I had two children from Brian and they've heard me talk about this there were some amazing things that came out of his his experience not necessarily for him but for me it changed my life completely and and led me to do what I'm doing now and led me to my, my husband and the family that I have now as well, along with my first two children. So mm. there were many blessings like COVID. There were many blessings from it. But um, I did see, I think it does, and I've seen it with other people as well, when they get a diagnosis like that and they say, or they read the, the literature and they say, I've got three or six months to live, it, that locks into their brain, that they lock into that in their brain and they limit themselves to that when they don't necessarily explore the options that that might not necessarily be the case. Yeah, exactly. I've got a friend who's had a brain tumour and he's lived 13 years longer than he was expected to live. Yeah. He just doesn't give up. You know? And he's, he's been through hell and he's had plenty of operations and he's lost a, an eye, and but he just continues living on and persevering because he's got the love and support of his family and he obviously believes that there's more to life than giving up on it. Yeah, and yeah, and living with purpose and I I don't think you have to have it like when we I was talking before about soul purpose I know what my soul purpose is and I know that part of that that? my soul purpose is to help other people find and live their soul purpose through whatever means that is and through through uh, through providing them tools where they can see health and where they can Mm. see they need to improve in their health and um, helping shine the light on the options that are already there for them because I don't give them the options like I don't give them, I, I help show them the tools, but I don't, I can't use those tools for them. They have to use them themselves. So I'm, I feel like I'm kind of like someone who lights the path to showing them things that they may not necessarily have seen. And I want my legacy to be that um, we've got so much potential as humans that we don't use. Mm. 100%. And 110%. Yeah. i've forgotten now what i was going to say about that before um like um yeah i think people i think people and their programming and oh yeah they're limiting beliefs yeah they're limiting beliefs yeah Yeah. and it's and to a degree it can be a a bit of a hook to hang their shit on right it can be a cop-out it can be their excuse yeah yeah an excuse and uh that's not for everybody because um you know that some people have a legitimate reason for for doing the way that that you know, living the way they live or behaving the way they behave or doing what they do. However, a lot of people rob themselves of choice mm. by saying the words, I had no choice. Yeah. And that in itself is a choice. Yeah. And once you say those words, even you don't even have to say them, you just have to think those words and the, the chemical reaction in your body changes to believe that your mm. brain will believe that because thoughts are some of the most powerful things that we have. Mm. And there's but, so little we know about our brains. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And it's interesting what you said, you know, you believe everything happens for a reason. And I used to subscribe to that as well. Um, sometimes things just happen. Yeah. Sometimes shit just, just happen. Sometimes, sometimes shit just some, happens. Some and good and bad. Yeah. Um, and 
and we make sense of it through finding reason. Yeah. And understanding that and, and yeah. Yeah, classifying that. Yeah. Do you still use one of the tools that you used to use? And that was to, um, I guess you don't now, but you used to like, when you found out about being adopted, you went to the highest hill and rode the skateboard down the hill, like that, that adrenaline and riding the, the biggest waves. Do you still no. use that? No, you've dropped that altogether. Yes. When I'm feeling unhappy or restless or sad, um, I, I now have the courage to sit in it yeah. and feel it as opposed to running away from it. I still do immerse myself in nature though. I still go to the ocean because I feel safe and I feel like I'm being held. Yeah. And then I just process what I'm processing. But I, I now sit in it a lot longer now. I don't go, oh, I don't like this, but I want to get out of this. You know, I just sit in it and go, okay, I feel this way today. I wonder what it. tomorrow has in store for me. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like people to remember from this conversation? Goodness. Uh, what would I like people to remember from this conversation? Oh, I think that, you know, we've shared a lot of different points. Um, reach out if you need help. Oh, reach out if you need help, but be your own accountability buddy. Um, surround yourself with people who elevate you and bring the best out in you. Um, be honest with who you are. It takes a lot of courage and it's, and it's scary, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, but it's worth it because um, you can't be everything to everybody. So be just be everything to yourself. Um, put yourself first, prioritise your health and well-being and have the courage to look in the mirror in your own reflection into your own eyes and ask yourself, how am I feeling today? Because how we feel determines every choice we make. How much closer are you, how much closer are you to loving yourself? I'm really there, actually. I do love myself. I just beat up on myself occasionally, but I do love myself. I, um, I, have, I have the capacity and the ability and the willingness to wrap my arms around myself and say, I love me. Awesome, because you are enough. I am enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being with me today, Lane. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks for the chat. It was lots of fun. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Amongst the Waves. I would love for you to leave your review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help increase our rankings, let more people listen to the podcast and share the love. Thank you.